0: Everybody, how are we doing today? We doing good? All right, all right. Are we, are we still loving Jesus? All right, that's awesome. I don't know what the weather's like out in Ogallala or North Platte, um, but the people here at the Carnegie campus are amazing. Like rain is just coming down in sheets, and uh, you guys all showed up here for our first service. So thank you guys so much. I want to say a big hello to everybody worshiping with us at all of our campuses. Um, as well as those that might be worshiping with us online. We're excited to be able to offer uh, this kind of an option to those of you online who may be checking out a church, right? Checking out who God is. And we want New Life Church to be an instrument that's used to help you know God and God's ways. And today we are in week three of our current teaching series that we just entitled Rock Bottom. Rock Bottom. And I know that last week, um, on Mother's Day weekend, Pastor Nate was preaching, and man, did he do a fantastic job or what, guys? For those of you that were here, come on. I love it. Yeah, at all of our campuses, man, I want to hear you clapping for him, right? Because, I mean, he really, he did a, he did a fantastic job. Uh, and so I love that about our teaching team, and uh, we've just got a wonderful staff here that has some incredible gifts and abilities. Um, so we're going to continue on in this series here now in week three. And to do that, I just kind of feel like I need to give you a quick overview of the series. So if this is your first week, each week is a standalone. It's not that each week kind of builds on the next one. So you're, you're not missing out on anything. If you want to get more information about Rock Bottom, please go to MyNewLifeChurch.com and you can go to our on-demand section where you can actually go back and watch some previous week's uh, in those messages, okay? Um, so, look, the overview is this We're, we all hit rock bottom at some point and in some way in our lives, right? And we talked about that in week one, um, that we can hit rock bottom in multiple different ways, right? And it's not always just because the wheels fell off um, in the sense of like drug use or alcohol use, right? We can hit rock bottom emotionally. Right? We, can hit, hit, we can hit rock bottom in relationships. We can hit rock bottom in a lot of different ways. But the, the reason why we're addressing this teaching series is because we want to remind you of the God in which we serve and we worship. That we serve an amazing, incredible God who loves us. In fact, he loves us so much that he meets us at our worst. Come on, somebody. That's good news. Amen? Yes. <clears throat> and only God can do that. Only God can meet you at your worst in a way that can rescue you from your rock bottom. We think that we can rescue ourselves from the rock bottom moments, but we need the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God to rescue us. And what we need to do is we need to reach up from our rock bottom moment, take the hand of God, right? And let him pull us up out of that worst case scenario that we're living in. That's what we need to do. And today we're gonna to look at a guy who, did, who, who knows that about God but doesn't take that action. He doesn't take the lifeline that God's giving him. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. His name's Jonah. Now, if you don't know who Jonah is, okay, if you don't know who he is, he's the guy who's swallowed by the big fish. Now you probably know who he is, right? So a lot of people know that. Even if you haven't been around church, you know that there's a guy in the Bible who's swallowed by a big fish. That's who we're talking about. But we're talking about a prophet of God, not just any ordinary individual this is a guy who's been called by God to speak on behalf of God all right but Jonah's struggling with God because Jonah knows Jonah knows that God has certain ways about him that Jonah doesn't like right Jonah knew that God met people at their worst and Jonah hated it he actually hated the fact that part of God's ways that was this that when we hit rock bottom God meets us at our worst, and here's the prophet of God who can't wrap his head around it. In fact, he even hates it. And the big problem here, though, is this, that Jonah's rebellion, right, against God, it really was keeping him from seeing that Jonah, in the midst of the story, he was hitting rock bottom over and over again. But he couldn't see it because he's rebelling against God's ways. In fact, Jonah couldn't see even that God's grace and that God's mercy was trying to meet him at his worst. Why? Because he was blinded from his rebellion against God's ways. Now, to really help you understand all of this, right, it would require me to give you an overview of the entire book of Jonah, of which I don't have the time to do that. It would also require us to read every scripture from the beginning to the end. I don't have time to do that, right? So what I do have time to do, though, is introduce you to a tool that I think might be beneficial for your own spiritual growth. The BibleProject.com. BibleProject.com is a, is a group of people that have decided they're going to do their best, oper- their best job at giving people the overview of God's word in a very fun and creative way. And they've done an incredible job with the book of Jonah. And so what, as we watch this video, it's going to show you the overview of the book of Jonah. I want you to be watching it for two critical things. One, I want you to watch for where Jonah hits spiritual rock bottom but I also want you to be watching for our compassionate loving God of how he keeps meeting Jonah trying to show him his grace show him his mercy how God is slow to anger with with Jonah how God puts up with Jonah because he loves him because he's trying to meet him at rock bottom I want you to look for both of those things as we introduced to the bibleproject.com check out this video
1: the book of Jonah a subversive story about a rebellious prophet who hates God for loving his enemies. Jonah is unique among the prophets of the Old Testament because they are typically collections of God's words spoken through the prophet. But this book does not actually focus on the words of the prophet, rather it is a story about a prophet, a really mean and nasty prophet. Jonah appears only one other time in the Old Testament. It is during the reign of Jeroboam II, one of Israel's worst kings. And Jonah prophesied in his favor, promising that he would win a battle and regain all this territory on Israel's northern border. Now, it's important to know that the prophet Amos also confronted Jeroboam. And through him, God specifically reversed Jonah's prophecy, promising that Jeroboam would lose all of those same territories because he was so horrible. So before the story of Jonah even begins, we are suspicious of Jonah's character. The book of Jonah has a beautiful design with all this literary pairing and symmetry. So you have chapters 1 and 3 telling the story of Jonah's encounter with non-Israelites. First with some sailors and then with Jonah's hated enemies, the Ninevites. And each part offers a comic contrast between Jonah's selfishness and the pagans' humility and repentance. Chapters 2 and 4 contain prayers of Jonah. One is a prayer of repentance, kind of, and the other is a prayer in which Jonah chews out God for being too nice. Now, this careful design of the book is matched by a really unique style of narration. The story is full of all of these stereotyped characters who, ironically, do the exact opposite of what you think they would do. So you have the prophet, the man of God, who rebels and hates his own God. You have the sailors, who are supposed to be really immoral, but actually they have soft, repentant hearts and turn to God in humility. You have the king of the most powerful, murderous empire on the planet, and he humbles himself before God because of Jonah's five-word sermon and even the king's cows repent. This kind of story fits what today we would call satire. These are stories about well-known figures who are placed in extreme circumstances and they use humor and irony to critique their stupidity and character flaws. Let's just dive in and we'll see how all the pieces work together. The story opens as God addresses Jonah and commissions him to go preach against the evil and injustice in Nineveh, the capital city of the Assyrian Empire, Israel's bitter enemy but instead of going east to Nineveh Jonah goes in the opposite direction finding a ship going as far west as you can go to Tarshish. Now the big question here is why? Why does Jonah run? Is he afraid? Does he just not like Ninevites? And we're not told yet. So the man of God tries to run from God and he boards a ship full of pagan sailors. He goes down into the ship and then he falls asleep. So God sends a huge storm to wake up his prophet. Well, ironically, the sailors above board are wide awake to everything that's happening. They can discern that there's a divine power at work here. So they throw the dice and they discover that Jonah, he is the culprit. So they ask Jonah to explain himself and Jonah spouts off a whole bunch of religious mumbo-jumbo. He says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God who made the sea and the dry land. What a joke! Right, God made the sea and the dry land all right, and Jonah's dumb enough to run from this God by getting on a boat and When the sailors ask Jonah what they should do, he says, "Kill me right by throwing me overboard," which kind of seems noble at first until you realize this could actually be his most selfish move yet. I mean what better way to avoid going to Nineveh? So he puts his blood on these innocent sailors' hands by trying to force them to kill him. They are reluctant, of course, and they repent to God even as they toss him over. The storm subsides and they end up fearing the God of Israel and unlike Jonah they actually worship God. But God foils Jonah's plans to escape Nineveh. As Jonah's sinking God provides this strange watery tomb for him the stomach of a large fish. Now of course under normal circumstances this would be certain death but in this story everything's upside down and so Jonah's submarine death becomes his passage back to life. Cramped in the stomach of this beast Jonah utters a prayer where he never technically says that he's sorry but he does thank God for not abandoning him and he promises that he will obey God from this point on no matter what and God's response is quite comic the whale vomits Jonah back onto dry land so once again God commissions Jonah to go and preach in Nineveh and Jonah complies we're told that Nineveh was a gigantic city it would take days to walk through so Jonah gets one day in and here is his message Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's five words in Hebrew. Now his sermon is very short and it's also odd. I mean look at what's missing. There's no mention of what the Ninevites have done wrong or of what they should do to respond. There's no mention of who might overturn them and most noticeable there's no mention of God. What's going on here? Has Jonah intentionally given the bare minimum of information? It's like he's trying to sabotage his own message or ensure the Ninevites destruction. There's just no effort on Jonah's part here. Whatever his motives are, the plan doesn't work. Because no sooner does he utter this five-word sermon that the king of Nineveh, the entire city, including all its cows, repent in sorrow and ashes. So for the second time, these evil pagans show themselves to be more responsive than God's own prophet. So God forgives the Ninevites and he doesn't bring destruction on the city. Now, here's the brilliant part of the story. The last word of Jonah's short sermon, overturned, means just that, turned over. And it can refer to a city being overthrown or destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, but it can also be used of something being transformed, like turned over and changed into its opposite. And so comically, Jonah's words actually came true but not in the way that he intended. Nineveh does get turned over as Jonah's enemies repent and find God's mercy. The final chapter brings all the pieces together. Jonah he's fuming mad and he utters his second prayer. He first tells God why he ran away back in chapter 1. It was not because he was afraid. Rather, it was because he knew that God was so merciful. And this is great. Jonah actually quotes God's own description of himself from the book of Exodus and he throws it back in God's face as an insult. He says he knew that God is compassionate and that you would find some way to forgive these horrible Ninevites. You can just hear the disgust in Jonah's voice. Jonah then cuts off the conversation and he prays that God would kill him on the spot. He'd rather die than live with the God who forgives his enemies. Fortunate for Jonah, God doesn't comply and simply asks if Jonah's anger is even justified. Jonah ignores the question and he goes outside the city to camp on a nearby hill waiting to see what might happen. You know, the Ninevites might repent of their repentance and get roasted after all. What happens next is very odd. God provides this viney plant to shade Jonah from the sun, and that makes him quite happy. But then God sends a tiny worm to eat up the plant, and so Jonah loses his shade. And there, in the heat of the sun, Jonah asks again that God kill him. So God, again, asks Jonah if his anger is justified, and Jonah barks back, absolutely just let me die. And those are Jonah's last words in the story. God's final words are what concludes the book. He says that this whole vine incident was an attempt to get through to Jonah, right? Jonah got all concerned and emotional over this vine, which he only enjoyed for a day. And God asked Jonah, you know, aren't... Humans a bit more valuable than vines. I mean, isn't it okay if God might feel the same kind of emotion and concern for the city of Nineveh that's full of thousands of people who have lost their way and also their cows? And that's how the book ends, with God asking Jonah for permission to show mercy to his enemies. And what is Jonah's answer? The story doesn't say, because that's not the point. The point is that the book is trying to mess with you. And God's questions here are actually addressed to you, the reader. Are you okay with the fact that God loves your enemy? And so this book holds a mirror up to the one who reads it. In Jonah, we see the worst parts of our own character magnified, which should generate humility and gratitude that God would love his enemies and put up with the Jonah in all of us. And so this strange story actually becomes a message of good news about the wideness of God's mercy that ought to challenge us to the core. And that's the book of Jonah.
0: So the book of Jonah then really becomes this mirror to you and to me. And it's asking us to evaluate our heart towards God's ways. Like, are you okay with the way that God loves your enemies? As an example... Right? Are you surrendered to God's plan even when even when life gets hard and life gets messy? Are you still surrendered to the plan, the ways of God for your life? Or is it like acting like a mirror and it's asking, are you okay with God blessing those who you think need to be punished severely? Right? It's asking basically this, is there anything in your heart that doesn't agree with God's ways? And I'm not talking about your life when it comes to whether you're sinning or you're not sinning. We're talking about God's ways, the way that God chooses to show grace, or the way that God chooses to show mercy, show love, the way that God is slow to anger, or the way that God is willing to forgive and to restore people, even your enemies. So what we're really being asked today through this book, and as we're looking at week three of Rock Bottom, is this, are you okay With God's ways? Are God's ways your ways? Is God's plan and His desire and His word what resonates inside of your heart? Let me ask you maybe a few examples to help drive home the point, because right now, probably many of you are like, yeah, I think so. I think my heart is with God's heart. I think my ways are God's ways. Let me just ask you a few questions just to see if maybe your ways are God's ways. Are you okay? With God forgiving and restoring a rapist and a murderer? Because that's God's ways. Because if you're not okay with that, God's okay with that. God restores them when there's a repentance, when there's a heart that turns back to Him. Are you okay with God showing love and mercy to someone who hurt you deeply? Or do you think that maybe there should be punishment for them? Are you okay with God showing them love and mercy? Or are you wanting to see those who oppress you experience the grace, the mercy, and the love of Jesus Christ? Or are you quickly a person that moves to revenge? See, God's ways is that we would love those who oppress us, that we would want them to experience the love of God. We would want them to experience the mercy of God. When our heart is opposite of that, we're not lined up with God's ways. Are you okay with God reserving heaven for those who follow his plan and punishing everyone else with hell? Because that's God's ways. Are you okay with that? Is, that? is your heart line up with that? Are you aligned with God's word concerning morality even though it clashes with our nation's morality? Because God's ways is this. It doesn't matter what's going on in our society, our nation, or in our world. Are we going to stay true To his ways so are you aligning yourself with god's ways even when our nation is going man's ways maybe let me ask you one last one are you finding yourself bending or omitting some of god's ways to justify your choices after going through maybe a set of those types of questions maybe right now even the most spiritually mature person in here is going it's possible It's possible that if a prophet cannot be on God's page with God's ways on all things, then maybe it's possible that my heart isn't on God's page in all ways with God's ways. Maybe that's possible. See, that's where our heart ought to be right now. It ought to be in a very humble state. It ought to be in a very moldable, pliable state right now where, where it's before God and it's saying, God... Anything in me that doesn't line up with your ways, address that in my heart today and change me because I want to be on God's page. Because the truth is this, you'll always hit rock bottom when your heart isn't aligned with God's ways. Wherever your heart isn't aligned with God's ways, God's going to do whatever he has to do to get your heart to line up with his ways, even if that is this, leading you to a rock bottom moment i want you to notice this jonah didn't hit rock bottom because he was addicted to drugs or strung out on alcohol jonah didn't hit rock bottom because he was living a life of sin like the kind of sin that you're thinking about right now jonah didn't hit rock bottom because he rejected the existence of god and became an atheist he didn't hit rock bottom for any of those things jonah hit rock bottom because he, rebe- he rebelled against god's ways that means it's possible for you and me to hit rock bottom when we rebel against God's ways, when we think our ways are better than and more justifiable than God's ways. See, Jonah hit rock bottom because he didn't follow God's ways, and his rock bottom was a spiritual rock bottom. And that means that we all can hit a spiritual rock bottom in our, way, in our life when we follow our ways instead of God's ways. But here's the mercy, the compassion The beauty of God's heart. God does everything he can physically to try to get across to Jonah while Jonah's at his rock bottom to try to rescue him to say, Jonah, basically take my hand, I'm gonna lead you out of this. What does he do? He uses a physical storm. He uses the belly of a fish. I mean, if those two things don't get your attention, what's gonna get your attention, right? God uses things like a vine and then a worm that eats up the vine. God even uses extreme heat trying to get Jonah, like, wake up, Jonah, you're on the wrong page. You're going the wrong direction. And he uses all these physical things. And God's using even physical things in our life to try to wake us up. But Jonah wasn't catching any of them. God even used people that were responding to him even when they most likely shouldn't be responding to him. A group of sailors that are repentive when the prophet is not. A whole wicked city and its king after only hearing five words that weren't even properly interpreted, you know, out of man's heart coming from God, five words and it causes an entire city and its king to bow down and start humbling themselves before God. I mean, God's trying to get a hold of Jonah and he's trying to get his attention, but it's the, it's the spiritual rebellion in Jonah's heart that keeps blinding him to God's grace at work toward him. And is it possible today that The spiritual rebellion in our hearts where we have have adopted man's ways and rejected God's ways, intentionally or unintentionally, that could it be that that spiritual rebellion is blinding us to the very love, mercy, and grace of God that's trying to get our attention right now? Because God was attempting to rescue Jonah from his rock bottom, just like he would be trying to rescue any of us from our rock bottom. But we don't know how the story ends. The book just ends. And I'm glad that it does. I'm glad it ends that way because the big question for you and me today is this. How are you responding to God's ways? Because you really have two options to respond to God's ways. The first one I definitely don't recommend, which is follow the ways that seem right to you. That's what's happening in our nation right now. We're, we're living through a rapid shift of morality in our nation. What used to be repulsive, what used to be wrong, what used to be you know, kept in, in the private you know, it's a few years ago is now being celebrated out on our streets and in our public. Our nation is passing laws uh, to make what is, what, what is a violation to God's ways now right and acceptable. Our children are even be, being taught the value, the value of, you know, what man thinks to be right versus what God thinks to be right. And the increasing temptation on the follower of Jesus Christ is to adapt God's ways To follow man's ways and we're doing this because we just don't want to offend anyone we're we're doing this because we want to avoid conflict the follower of Jesus Christ is is adapting God's ways to follow man's ways because they just don't want to offend anyone I'm telling you the heat of where we're living right now is being turned up on anyone who chooses to follow God's ways over man's ways In fact, the follower of Jesus Christ today in America is now being called the hater, the bigot, the racist, the narrow minded. And in fact, the follower of Jesus Christ, the one who is trying to follow God's ways over man's ways, is now being deemed, right, the problem for our societal advancement. I'm telling you, right now, in the day and age in which we live, there is a great temptation to follow man's ways, to abandon God's ways, or to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and to adapt God's ways to be more acceptable to man's ways. And I just want to say to you as your friend and as your pastor, don't succumb to that pressure. Proverbs fourteen twelve tells us this, that there is a path or a way, right, before each person that seems right, but what, how does it end? but it ends in what? It ends in death. There are man's ways, and man will justify them, man will preach them, man will say them, man will try to enforce them, man will try to cancel out anyone else that doesn't think that way, man will try to enforce laws to try to drive home man's ways, but man's ways always lead to death. Be careful in this world in which we live in to not adapt God's ways to fit man's ways, you're going to end up in a place or you don't want to end up, and it's going to be frustrating. Kim and I, we were driving in Grand Island. Like, I, I, if you're from Grand Island, awesome, thank you guys so much. But I, I don't, I, there's something about going over that always frustrates me. So we're over there, we're doing our thing, and i got to go to the VA, and then we're done. And we're going to take the shortcut out the back of town that cuts down all the way to Highway 30. And some of you know the road I'm talking about, right? And we start heading down that road, and I get down that road, and it's, the road is closed, now I'm frustrated, right? Like I'm just like fuming, like, oh man, I already don't like driving over here. Now, now, I, now they cut off my shortcut and now I got to go back. I got to go back into town. I got to go down, you know, the road. I got to come back to Highway 30. This is just a waste of my time. I don't have time for that, right? And I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. But just think of it. What if I just would have like drove right through the road close sign? What if I would have done that? I would, have, I would have wrecked our car, right, because the minute I hit that sign, you know, today's car just crumples up. It's totaled. Hit, what did you do? I hit a sign. All right. Oh, okay, okay. We'll just write you a check for the car. Um, so, you know, you, you're going to wreck your car. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt others that are in the work zone. They're working there. So you might be frustrated, but that road close sign is there for a very good reason, just like there are very good reasons for God's ways. You may not like it right now. You might be frustrated with it. You may not be able to wrap your head around it, right? It may be difficult. It may be challenging. It, it, it may be repulsive to man's ways. But God's, God's ways, God has a very, very good reason for his ways. So uh, let me just encourage you again, don't allow the pressure of this world's ways to overcome you. Use the pressure of what's going on in our nation right now, the strife that's in our nation. Use the pressure that's against God's ways to cause you to dig deeper into God's word, to know his ways right now more than ever before. This is not a moment to run away from God's ways, church. This is a moment to press in to God's ways. Amen. That's right. So I encourage you to follow the second option, which is follow God's way. That's really the entire goal of my message today. The entire goal of my message is to challenge you to surrender your heart to God's ways. To repent of our rebellion and not be like Jonah. Repent of our rebellious ways before we hit rock bottom. Because I want to see you guys hunger after God's ways more right now than ever before. I sense the tension in my own heart as a spiritual leader to get up in front of you and to challenge you in a loving way to say to you, this is not the moment to be backing down from God's ways. This is the moment to lean in to God's ways. In fact, I want you to adopt this kind of heart, the psalmist's heart, out of Psalms 86:11, Where it says this, teach me, in fact, will you just read this with me? Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Church, that's the heart we need to have. In this day that we live in, if we have that kind of heart, we'll avoid the disasters that a prophet called Jonah ran right into. We'll avoid the spiritual rock bottom. You might hit rock bottom somewhere else. You might hit rock bottom in a relationship. You might hit rock bottom emotionally. You may hit rock bottom physically. But church, right now is not the moment where we need to be playing around with rock bottom spiritually. God's at work right now in this church. He's at work right now at each of our campuses. He's at work right now wherever you are watching this online. And God's one agenda today is to try to get us to be more hungry to line up with his ways than ever before. And all God requires is for us to bring before him a moldable heart, hungry to know his ways. His ways might frustrate you. His His ways might be hard for you to wrap your head around right now. But that's what god's looking for Would we just come to him and go look god i don't get it all right now but would you teach me your ways i don't understand how it all connects but teach me your ways why because i want to live according to your truth that's the kind of heart we ought to have today i mean if you drove out of church today and your your car as you're driving home right because you're driving kind of fast right because you're hungry or whatever and your car slides off the road into a really you know deep ditch that's full of mud I pray that doesn't happen to any of you, by the way. So don't blame it on me if it takes place. If that happened and then a tow truck came by and they were there, right, and they were like, hey, hey, I'm going to help you. I'm going to pull you out. And you're like, no, I don't need your help. I'm going to do it my way. Wouldn't that be like the most foolish thing you could do at the moment? So don't follow the ways of man today. Don't follow the ways of man. They're stuck in their ways and they refuse God's help. Instead, surrender yourself to God. And ask him to teach you his ways. Jonah's story, it showed us. It shows what happened when you refused to love God's ways. Don't take that path. Because the story also showed us how incredible and how amazing God's ways actually are. It showed us how God loves us even when we are at our worst. Isn't that amazing about God? And it showed us how God continues To love us even when we've hit spiritual rock bottom. Jonah hit spiritual rock bottom and God came to him. Jonah says, okay, I'll I'll do what you want me to do. And he hits spiritual rock bottom again. And God keeps coming back, keeps coming back, keeps chasing him. Why? Because even Jonah knew God's ways. What did he say about God's ways? He said this in chapter 4, verse 2. He says, look, in an argument with God, he goes, I knew That you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. Guys, that's the good news. That's the God that we have come to worship today. A God that is full of mercy, grace, compassion, slow to anger, filled with unfailing love. He's not looking to destroy you. He's not looking to beat you with those bats of truth. He's not interested in destroying people. He's he's interested in turning away from destroying people. That's the God we've come to worship today. That's why you're here. If that's not who he was, you wouldn't even be here. So if that's who he is, wherever your heart isn't lined up with his, let's work on aligning our heart. Teach me your ways, O God. Right, that I might live in and accomplish your truth. Let's not respond like Jonah did. Jonah said all these amazing things about God. And you know what his very next words were in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2, as it slips into verse 3? Just kill me now. I know you're merciful, compassionate, slow to anger. You love those that I hate. Right, you don't want to destroy people. So kill me now. Because if I got to work for you, I don't like this job. Let's not respond like that. Really today, you've got one of two ways to respond. You either need to surrender your life to Jesus, who's merciful, compassionate, slow to anger, and filled with unfailing love. Maybe that's where you're at. You're living your life your way, and you need to just stop, surrender, repent, ask Jesus to be your Lord and your leader. Or you need to surrender your ways to line up with his ways. You need to come before God and to say, teach me your ways, O Lord, that I might walk in and accomplish your truth. Those are one of the two paths that you and me have today. And I would encourage you to take one of those two roads as we come and we worship this incredible, amazing God whose ways are higher than your ways. His ways are beyond your ways. But his ways are right, they're just, and they are good. And they are loving, and they're full of mercy, and they're full of grace, and they're full of compassion, and they're full of slow to anger, and they're full of restoring people, not destroying people. Guys, that's the God we've come to worship. Let's let our heart line up with that heart. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Father, thank you that you use a a story like Jonah to get our attention because you don't want us to hit spiritual rock bottom. You want us to avoid those moments. And Lord, I want to see our church avoid those moments as well. Where we get sideways with your word. Where our mind gets all twisted and the fallacies that we hear man preaching, they start infiltrating our heart to a point where it starts eroding the truth and we start believing a lie. Lord, today in this church, in all of our campuses, with everybody that's online right now, Lord, if there is a way in us where we have drifted from your way, would you convict us of that? That would be the most loving thing you could do. Convict us by the power of your spirit right now so that, Lord, we would turn to you and we would surrender and we would repent. That we would not be stiff-necked and stubborn like your prophet Jonah was. We don't want to hit that rock bottom over and over again. Lord, we want to people that walk with you. We love you. We know your ways. And we know that your ways are good. So let our heart line up with those ways so that we could be representatives of your ways on this earth and not be living man's ways. Lord, we love you. Thank you that you love us at our worst. Thank you that you love us enough that you challenge us with your word so that we don't hit spiritual rock bottom. Have your way in our hearts today and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen.